Welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast. Today is Monday, June 14th, 2021. Stephanie Melka returns to the podcast today to discuss why all the fuss about advanced maternal age. Only in the world of pregnancy could we refer to someone who is 35 as advanced maternal age. And only doctors could come up with such a horrific label. So on behalf of all the doctors out there, my apologies. Melka and I discuss where this distinction came from, how aspects of it are no longer relevant, and which aspects are still important. Okay, I got a great email last week from one of our listeners, Elise, about our podcast on postpartum hemorrhage, and I wanted to read it on the air. Here it goes. Hello, I wanted to send a note letting you know how much I've appreciated your podcast throughout my pregnancy. In fact, your recent episode on postpartum hemorrhage was very useful. It gave me the information I needed to make informed decisions and understand what was happening with my care and why. I delivered my son about a week ago and unfortunately had a postpartum hemorrhage. My midwife and doctor attributed it to parts of my placenta being retained. They tried about five medications to control the bleeding, most of which were ones you referred on the podcast, so I was familiar with them, but that wasn't enough, so they manually tried to scoop out the retained tissue, but even after that, ultrasound still showed a small piece being retained, so I had to go for DNC. It was a scary time, But thankfully, they were proactive in managing it, and I didn't have to go back in later with infection or continued heavy bleeding. Everything has been good since the DNC with minimal bleeding. Without having listened to your episode on postpartum hemorrhage, I imagine it would have been even scarier. I felt like I was able to be involved in the decisions being made about my care, as opposed to things just being done to me. I attribute this to a great care team, but also the information I learned from your podcast. Elise, congratulations on your birth, and I'm glad you're doing well. Your email sums up basically every reason why we do this podcast, and I really appreciate you sending me the email. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Enjoy the podcast today, and we'll see you Thursday for high-risk birth stories. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Helpful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. Melka, welcome back to the podcast. How goes it? Hi, things are good. How are you? I'm great. Always happy to see you, uh, like I do pretty much every day of the week. (laughs) Uh, But it's nice to podcast together. And uh, we're talking about advanced maternal age, or AMA, today. Yes. Yes. My request. (laughs) Yeah. So explain what what was the request? So this is something I get from a lot of people, a lot of patients, a lot of friends that say. Because you're in that age category. I am. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. A lot of people, they they hear all these things about how you can't get pregnant or at age 35, suddenly you're too old to get pregnant. And I have a lot of friends that are in their, you know, 30s, 40s that just ask me, like, what do what do I think about it? It's unfortunate because you'll also hear things, you know, like elderly pregnancy or geriatric pregnancy. (laughs) And it's like, oh, my God, like that's that's a big move to tell someone at 35 that's a geriatric pregnancy. Um, So we don't do that. It's a it is on the Sano coding sheet, though, in the problem list. Elderly. Yes. Yeah. The term elderly is on it because that's part of how the the national codes list for pregnant women over 35. They write elderly. I would say that's how you know a man wrote those codes. Yeah. (laughs) It's a woman um, would not write elderly. I I absolutely agree. It's unfortunate and it definitely is. It appears to be unkind. But the interesting thing is we don't really even think about it so much that way because, again, like if you think of 
you know, women who are 35, like walking the planet, no one thinks of them as old. 35 is young, right? You're young. Ever, like if you went to medical doctor, they would say you're young and healthy, which is true. I mean, if you're healthy, but they would say you're young and healthy. But the reason it sort of came up in pregnancy is that typically, historically, the range of women who were pregnant was, let's say, late teens to 40 or early 40s, maybe. So 35 to sort of, you know, early mid 40s, again, this is in nature without use of fertility treatments or anything like that. They were in the older side of the pregnant group. And everyone knew that they weren't old in life or, you know, older in life. It's just related to pregnancy. And the term actually got invented only related to Down syndrome screening. Yeah. It's been known for, you know, for 100 years, 100 plus years, ever since, you know, Down syndrome was first, you know, identified and given a name and sort of discovered and later that it was genetic and all this, that it was known that as women get older, the risk of Down syndrome increases. And, you know, we had a podcast about this and all that. And so what happened was initially there was no screening test for Down syndrome. And so they just had to decide who are we going to do an amniocentesis on? That was it, right? Is either you do an amnio or don't do an amnio. That's all that was available. And the thought was, well, what's the risk of an amnio? And at the time, this is, you know, in the 70s, they said, well, the risk of an amnio is one in 200. So they said, okay, at what point in life is the risk of Down syndrome to one in 200? That was 35. Meaning if you're younger than 35, the risk of Down syndrome was lower than one in 200. So if you did an amnio, it was higher risk than having a baby with Down syndrome. And if you were over 35, the risk of Down syndrome was higher. So if you did an amnio, that was the lower risk of the two. So it's really just a line in the sand. And that's where the term advanced maternal age came from. And nothing to do with about her health or physiology, how she's going to handle pregnancy. It was just how do we decide who does and doesn't get recommended in amnio. And that's sort of fallen by the wayside anyways, because of all the Down syndrome screening, but the term has persisted much to people's chagrin. And in our counseling, a lot of people come into pregnancy thinking, oh, the problem is because of genetic and Down syndrome and whatnot. And then we explain to them, well, you know, we have different screening tests now. It's not the same way. We don't just do amnios. We have all these options. And they say, well, then I'm fine, right? And then we say, well, maybe not. <laughs> so, so what else is there about a, a woman's age that affects potentially her pregnancy? Sort of general risks of different complications in pregnancy increase with age. So more likely to develop preeclampsia, more likely to develop diabetes, higher risk of C-section the older a woman is. That is something that amazingly, even though the term is so prevalent, since it's prevalent for the wrong reasons, right? Because it's not so much a genetic issue anymore in the age of screening, people don't realize that actually there is something to maternal age for all the other outcomes mm -hmm. in pregnancy. And so we do sort of flip a route. We sort of tell people, no, your age is like not a concern to us in terms of genetics because we can screen for that. We can do all those things. And we counsel people, whether they're 25, 35, or 45, the same way with genetic sort of concerns. But a 25, 35, and 45-year-old have much different rates of adverse outcomes in pregnancy. And we definitely talk about that in relation to what we're going to do and what they should expect and maybe what tests we're going to do and what treatments we're going to do. Do you find that your patients are surprised by this to yes. learn? Yeah. In what way that they just realize, like, what's the deal? Like, I'm healthy? Yeah. Well, they're sort of told you're over 35, so you need a high-risk doctor. 
Mm. And they just sort of say, okay, and then they come to us and they're like, okay, what does that mean? Right. And they like almost see themselves as like a ticking time bomb where they're like, <laughs> I'm I'm old. I don't know that I should be doing this. Right. Or am I too old to do this? Right. And so when you see someone who, you know, you, you don't know already, she's coming to you the first time, she's, let's say hypothetical, she's 38 years old. She's coming to you for her, her first pregnancy or before her first pregnancy. And she was told that she has to see, you know, you or one of us for this particular reason, just because she's over 35. How do you talk to her about that? You know, I sort of go over what we started with, that mm -hmm. it all sort of comes from, like it started with the genetic risk, but mm -hmm. there's all these other issues that come into play and then go over the risk of genetic abnormalities with age and then the potential impacts on the pregnancy, like the different things that could develop. and. Some people hear that and they're like, well, if any of that did happen, I would want to be in this group, so I'm going to stay. Right. And then others are like, oh, that that's nothing. Okay. Yeah. I'm, go I'm, going, yeah. <laughs> I'm going back to Jersey or wherever. It is interesting because what I tell women is most women, if they're pregnant, no matter what their age is, they're most likely going to do fine. Yes. Right? And even if they develop one of these complications we're talking about, with the exception of stillbirth, obviously, uh, which we'll talk about, you know, like preeclampsia or gestational diabetes, even if they develop it, it's not likely to be a game changer in terms of their long-term health or their baby's long-term health. It could be. And so we have to watch for it and take care of it. But statistically, they're likely to do fine. And the the other predictor that's so critical is what is their overall health? Mm -hmm. Meaning if someone is 33 years old, so she's quote unquote young, but she has obesity and high blood pressure and diabetes and she smokes and she doesn't exercise, her risk profile is going to be much higher than someone who's 43 who has none of those conditions. And so age is one of the factors we look at, but it clearly isn't mm -hmm. the only one. Yeah. And it's not the most important one either. It's just one of them, right? You're, you're much better off being you know, slightly older without, let's say, high blood pressure mm -hmm. than being slightly younger with high blood pressure. Yes. For example, <laughs> we talk about this in context of her overall health picture, which is, you know, why we have to really evaluate her history and, you know, do an exam and, you know, check her blood pressure, maybe some blood tests and figure all that out before we can give her a, a sense of, you know, how concerned should she be about if she gets pregnant. We had a podcast with uh, Karen Blyer, who was telling sort of her side of the equation is pregnancy over 40. And so we covered some of this we're going to talk about this a little more on the medical side. So let's talk about the risks that are related to age that we go through sort of one at a time, either on our heads or with the patient, if it's uh, specific to her. And the first is related to early pregnancy, like fertility and miscarriage. Yes. So how do you counsel women about those two in particular? Generally, the older we get, the harder it is to get pregnant. And it's somewhat related to fertility as well as abnormal pregnancies that end up miscarrying pretty right. early on. Right. And that that is the one thing where age is the biggest one. Yeah. Right. And it's very hard to circumvent that other than, again, if you had some other medical problem affecting fertility or miscarriage, mm -hmm. fine. But that's the exception. Generally, it's just a function of age. This is how, unfortunately, biology works, how the ovaries are, you know, are developed. And that's just sort of the numbers. And this is the reason frequently people as they get older, might need to turn to fertility treatments uh, to get pregnant or potentially to not miscarry. Mm -hmm. Because again, just the odds aren't as good. So that's the one thing when, when women ask me about, you know, should I wait? Should I not wait? You know, all these things about age. The one thing that sort of we can't quote unquote fix 
is fertility and miscarriage risk based on age. Again, unless you jump to you know, infertility treatments, IUI, egg donation, IVF, like yes. all these things that can do that, but that's a big deal, obviously. And so when, you know, there's this discussion about delayed childbearing, which is much more common now, the average age of women's first pregnancy is later now than it was 10, 20 years ago. That's fine. Obviously, it's anyone's choice when they want to get pregnant, but that's the one thing they really need to consider, you know, how big of a family do I want to have? What would happen if I had a difficult time getting pregnant? And that's something that has to be considered much more so than, oh, if I wait out a higher risk of preeclampsia. Mm-hmm. That's really, it's almost never the issue uh, that we're talking about. We spoke about chromosomal abnormalities. Again, that's something we can screen for. It is a high risk, but practically it ends up being an issue with miscarriage, not so much at 12 weeks when we do like you know the screens because we have good tests for that. And so it's not something that's going to go unrecognized. I think one thing that we see that people don't realize is placenta abnormalities is more common. So what kind of things are we talking about? So the location where the pregnancy implants. So Mm -hmm. higher likelihood of a placenta previa, Mm -hmm. placenta attaches on top of the cervix, or issues later in the pregnancy with either the placenta not functioning ideally, and you have Mm -hmm. growth restriction, Mm -hmm. or the placenta separating early, where it's called an abruption. Right. We don't really know why the location of the placenta is more likely to be a previous women get older. There's there's some theories about it, but no one's exactly sure why that is and whether it's really related specifically to age or some other thing that changes as women get older. And the same with the placenta not functioning so well. Uh, a lot of that overlaps with things like IVF, medical issues, uh, potentially her weight gain. And so it's it's not entirely clear, but it is true that as women get older, these things become more common. Fortunately, we screen for these routinely, so it's not something that's really uh, such a big change in our prenatal care. Like We're going to see where the placenta is in all women, regardless mm-hmm. of age, but it is something that they don't realize. And I think that the main two that come up is the risk of gestational diabetes and the risk of preeclampsia. So in terms of gestational diabetes, is that something you think that women should be concerned about as they get older and are having pregnancies? So the best way I found to explain it to patients is on a scale of one to 10. Mm-hmm. In terms of danger, it's a one. 10 is bad, right? 10 is bad. Okay. In terms of danger, <laughs> it's a one out of 10. In terms of annoyance, it's a 12 out of 10. Yeah. Because you have to change your diet. You have to check your sugars four times a day the whole pregnancy. You might have to start medication. You can't eat what you want to eat. You can't eat when you want to eat. It's annoying. Yeah. But it's typically very, very easy to control, and it's rare to really see complications related to diabetes. Yeah, I tell them the same thing. Gestational diabetes is much more of a nuisance than it is a problem. And it is a nuisance. It's annoying to get that diagnosis. Now, obviously, if if you have it and you don't do anything, Mm -hmm. you don't follow it, it could become dangerous. But for people who are, you know, getting good medical care and doing what they're supposed to be doing, it's it's exceedingly unusual that it's going to be an uncontrollable problem. And typically in the women in whom that's the case, they actually have diabetes, yeah. right? It's not gestational diabetes. It's like real diabetes. And either they knew about it when they came into pregnancy or it just got coincidentally diagnosed when they were pregnant because we screen all pregnant women for gestational yeah. diabetes. But if it's really gestational diabetes, I mean, you walk into pregnancy without diabetes, it's like, I agree, 12 out of 10 nuisance, one out of 10 danger. So even though it's more common, I don't discourage people from pregnancy or I just warn them, hey, you know, you may be dealing with this, yeah. such as life. Again, age is a factor. Weight is a bigger factor than age in terms of as we get older, we tend to get heavier. Uh, not everybody, but some of us, myself included, do. And that's, you know, it, it, it's some of it is 
that. Some of it is metabolic related to age. Uh, and there's obviously overlap. I find that preeclampsia is a big one. That is really the one that we're more concerned about because it's actually the exact opposite. In terms of nuisance, it's like one out of 10. You don't have to do anything. You don't know what's even happening. But <laughs> danger, it could range from anything based yeah. on how severe the blood pressure is. And most people and their blood pressure is high have no symptoms. They don't know about it. Some will have a headache, but most won't. And so what do we do? Do we just tell people about this and just freak them out and scare them <laughs> and say, hey, you know, you're increased this or preeclampsia. Good luck. Have a good day. Baby aspirin. Yeah. <laughs> Cures everything. <laughs> yeah. So baby Calcium. aspirin. Yeah. So we do give baby a or recommend baby aspirin to women at increased risk for preeclampsia. Women over 35 are included. Everyone does it a little bit differently. Um, exactly who gets baby aspirin and who doesn't. The concept is if you're at increased risk for preeclampsia, baby aspirin should lower that risk a little bit, not a ton, but a little bit, and it's harmless. Some people argue you should give it to everybody because of that. Yeah. It's just easier than trying to sort out who needs it and who doesn't because you may miss people. Other people argue, no, let's give it for this and this and this and not as, eh, who knows, like one of those two strategies. But we do get to give it to women who are over 35, even though the risk really bumps up a lot when you're over 40. But again, since there's not much downside and there's some data about calcium, mostly for women who are not getting calcium in their diet. So I just ask women, you know, how much calcium do you get? And if they're getting plenty, fine. And if they're not, I tell them to supplement generally a thousand milligrams a day total. That's, and that's what's recommended actually even when you're not pregnant. Mm -hmm. We just had our podcast on osteoporosis with Mike Silverstein. And that's something that's recommended anyways for women in this age group. So no reason not to do that. It's also one of the reasons we check people in the office more frequently yeah. to check their blood pressure. It's amazing when people talk about prenatal care, like they think they're coming in to check the baby. And like, obviously they are, but like we want them to come in to check their blood pressure, right? their weight, the protein in their urine, and obviously check the baby. Right. It was one of these things that we really had to figure out during the pandemic when there was this push to keep people, particularly in the first like two, three months to keep people at home. And women didn't want to come in, right? They were concerned. They were afraid to, you know, leave home, you know, understandably. And so we're trying to figure out like, what do we actually need? Yeah. <laughs> and so we, so a bunch of them were like, all right, you didn't need an ultrasound today to check the baby. Like, can you go pick up, get a blood pressure, get a blood pressure cuff? Yeah, have Amazon deliver. Moving? Yeah. <laughs> and, and that was for a lot of prenatal care, just is your blood pressure okay? Is the baby moving? And if your blood pressure is okay, we can live without dipping the urine during that visit. And yeah, that's really it. Is not much more, but the blood pressure is key because for most women, if their blood pressure is going up, they're not going to know about it. For some women at really high risk, we'll actually just tell them, get a cuff, check it every day at home. It's slightly annoying, but it's so good to know that you're safe, you're okay. It sort of doesn't make us worry that you have to come in as frequently because that's the main thing we're checking. But that is a big one. And that's also really, really increased as women get older. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, gestational diabetes, if you look at 35, 40, 45, 50, it goes up, you know, I don't know, 5%, 6% to 7%, to 8%. It goes up a little bit each each increment. But preeclampsia goes from like 5 to 10 to 20 to yeah. 30. It just really, really bumps up with age because it's more of a vascular problem, mm -hmm. which is affected by age rather than sort of a metabolic problem. Fortunately, being over 35 does not seem to increase the risk of delivering early of preterm birth. So that's good. <laughs> that's a plus. And for most women without any other risk factors, it does not really, it's debatable whether it impacts the baby's growth in either direction or another. So we're not as anal about following the growth if the only risk factor is being over 35. In our practice, usually there's a lot of other things going on, but if that's all that's going on, not so much. And I think one of the really difficult ones to talk about is the risk of stillbirth. 
because it's true. There is an increased risk of stillbirth as women get older, but it's it's a big downer to talk about that, to sort of drop that yes. in somebody at the first prenatal visit. So what do you do strategically to talk about that? I wrap it into the conversation about the placenta. You know, right. the placenta always loses function the further you go in the pregnancy. And when you're over 35, that process happens a little bit earlier. So we start weekly ultrasounds. Right. You know, we start them at 36 weeks. Right. We do the biophysical profile. Some people do the NST, the non-stress test. You know, right. Something to assess the baby's yeah. well-being. Some people do nothing. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, it's one of these things where if you go around the country, around the world, People view this differently about what is the value of these tests. Is it helpful? Is it harmful potentially because you're finding things and intervening and maybe delivering people early? Is it neutral? Do we know? Do we not know? And it's really true for all the conditions. When we test women, you know, we do it for diabetes. We do it for hypertension. We do it for twins. We, there's all these conditions where there's an increased risk of stillbirth compared to baseline, and we test the baby, you know, more frequently beforehand. And like all those with advanced maternal age, it's unclear, are these tests very helpful? Are they not? Which test is best? How frequently should you do it? When should you start? And so there isn't a right or a wrong answer. And so that's one of the ways we try to lower the risk of stillbirth. And the other way is we sort of pick a time to be delivered, meaning don't go too far past a certain gestational age. And when do you recommend delivery for women who are over 35? Generally by 41 weeks. Right, a week after a the week due after. date. A week after, yeah. Yeah. Did you pick it randomly? <laughs> I mean, I'm just curious. How'd you come I up totally with it? I totally made it up. Yeah, okay. When I joined the group, you told me that's what yeah. we do. <laughs> well, yeah, so what we did, it's, and there's been a lot of movement on this. You know, when I started in the practice and since then, our basic recommendation was we didn't think it was a good idea for women who are over 35 to go past a week past their due date. Because as you said, the placenta function definitely starts to decrease. And if the baseline risk of stillbirth is higher, we don't want to put like risk upon risk. Subsequent to that, there was that study that came out that said if you induce women at 39 weeks, uh, low-risk women, there's also a study with higher-risk women who are over 35, you don't increase their risk of cesarean. So people have gone much more, I don't want to say lenient, but much more open to delivering women earlier, like at 40 weeks or 39 weeks. And there isn't a right or a wrong here because, you know, I was just having this conversation with someone today. She's 40 years old. She's healthy. This is her first pregnancy. Everything's going fine. Perfectly fine. She's 37 weeks. And I was talking to her about this, about we have to find a time to deliver. And I said, my personal opinion is if everything's going well. I would not deliver you before 39 weeks because there's potentially some issues with the baby not so much prematurity, but higher chance going to nick you, whatever. And I wouldn't have you go past 41 weeks, a week past years. There's a two-week window. And I said, I'm very comfortable with anything in that window as long as you know we're monitoring you and everything looks okay. The reasons you may want to go on the early side of that window is, number one, you're just like, I'm done. I don't want to be pregnant <laughs> anymore, which is totally reasonable, right? It's uncomfortable for a lot of women to be pregnant physically. And number two, if you have a specific fear of stillbirth or something like that, delivery 39 weeks, you won't be home for the next you know week or two. On the other hand, if you have a strong desire not to be induced and to go into labor on your own, sort of let it happen, quote unquote, naturally, then you're going to wait a little bit longer. And there, there isn't a perfect answer to this. And it's a discussion and different women feel differently. But we absolutely do monitor mm -hmm. in between that time. Have you found that, you know, the women you talk to about this are, are 
trying to stay pregnant as long as possible to 41, like to push it there, or would rather just deliver earlier? And if so, why? It's pretty mixed. I think it's less about when they want to deliver and the concern about induction leading to C-section. Mm-hmm. You know, and even though I can say we have these studies, you know, you, you fit into this age group, whatever, yeah. their worry is still, well, if I get induced at 39 weeks because I'm uncomfortable and I end up with the C-section, I'm going to feel bad. And even if I if I had a C-section at 41 weeks, I would still be upset about a C-section, but I wouldn't feel like it was my fault. Some people literally come in and they say, I don't care how I deliver. I just want to deliver as soon as possible. Like right. schedule my induction at 39 weeks. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And I end up with a C-section. Oh, right. well. Right. Either because they're just, they're done, yeah. they're smoked. Or sometimes if they had a bad outcome the last pregnancy, mm-hmm. the baby was sick or whatever, even, you know, God forbid, they had a stillbirth or something before, they're clearly going to want to be delivered as early yes. as will sort of, quote unquote, allow them. It's true. I, I really don't have a strong opinion about that. And I mean, between 39 to 41 weeks. And one of the reasons is we actually did a we did a very big study in our own practice uh, to look at this because we've been doing this testing on women over 35, you know, for 15 years. Uh, before it was cool to do it. So, and when we were doing it, we sort of, you know, had all these women, they're over 35, and we decided we're going to do this weekly testing of 36 weeks and deliver them sometime by 41 weeks. That was sort of our protocol. And what we did is we, this was, you know, thousands of women we're talking about. And we looked at their likelihood of stillbirth, right? Because stillbirth does happen. It happens in our practice, it happens in every practice. Fortunately, very, very low, well less than 1%. But when we looked at it, the rate, of stillbirth in the group of women over 35 and over 40 was no different. It was not higher Mm -hmm. than the general population of women under 35. And what that tells us is that there are some causes of stillbirth that are just not preventable, right? The cord, you know, gets wrapped around, you know, something. And this is, again, if you prevent it, it's just by luck that you delivered before that happened. But there's no way you can predict or prevent it. But doing this strategy seems to mitigate whatever risk came from being over 35 or over 40. Whatever that was seems to be relieved by this testing. So we were comfortable telling women, if we do this, you come every week, we deliver you by 41 weeks, whatever your rate of stillbirth is, which is a horrible thing to think about, is not higher because of your age. And so that's why we still sort of are okay going to 41 weeks, whereas some practices deliver everyone at 39 weeks if they're over 35, which maybe that's fine too. It's not a wrong strategy, but we're comfortable uh, with the artist strategy. Another thing I think that a lot of people don't realize is the risk of cesarean is increased with age. And do you find that your patients are surprised to learn this? Yes, (laughs) very much so. Yeah. And how do you explain why that is? I don't have a good explanation. Yeah. You know, some of it is comorbidity. Someone, you know, we talked about other risk factors. Those are things that might increase the risk of C-section. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like if the baby's growth restricted or if she has preclamps, like these things do increase the risk. I actually tell women that it seems to be that there's two theories other than that. And I think they're both true. The first is women, as they get older, tend to be a little bit more conservative with these health decisions. And, you know, someone who's 45 is much more likely to say, again, not everybody, but is much more likely to say, forget it. I'm just having a C-section, like all is well. Don't worry about it. It's okay. You know, it's my first pregnancy. I had to do IVF six times. Like, it's fine. I got other things to, to think about. Or, you know, maybe she's had other deliveries or whatever. And also on the doctors, sometimes doctors are a little less likely to sort of push it, so to speak. 
on yeah. a woman who's older. And so there's that sort of psychological component, which I believe is real. I think that's true both in patients and in doctors. But I think even on top of that, for someone who's highly motivated as a patient to deliver vaginally and a doctor is highly motivated to do it, there's something physiologically. Our muscles don't function as well in our 40s as they do in our 30s, as they do in our 20s. Those of us who, you know, live through life realize that <laughs> very quickly. And the uterus is a muscle and it needs to contract. And there's probably something related to that, that the labors just don't function as well as you get older. And so I always warn women not to be a downer, but just that expectations are set. And we're happy to, you know, to try and to be very, mm -hmm. you know, patient and quote unquote aggressive about a vaginal delivery. But if someone's, you know, in their 40s, the risk of a C-section is much higher than if she's in her 20s, all things being equal. And that's just the reality of it, unfortunately. And I think that's one thing women struggle with a lot. Yeah. You know, they're often coming into pregnancy sometimes with prior miscarriages, with infertility, with IVF. You know, there are women that come in with IVF and they say like, the delivery is the only thing that's going to be normal. Right. You know, like nothing about this pregnancy has been normal. I right. want something that's normal, that's right. like everyone else. Right. And it's hard for them yeah. where that's not always the case. It's a conversation that I always have. I'm happy with everybody. You know, there's always a risk of having a cesarean when you didn't want one or didn't expect one. And that's true for anybody who's pregnant. It's just the odds of it are higher if you're in your 40s and if you're in your 20s. If you're in your 20s, the odds are, you know, I don't know, 15% on a first baby, 20%, somewhere in that range. And if you're in your 40s, it's 40 to 50%. It's just sort of how it is. Again, same practice, same doctors, same sort of yeah. management of labor, same hospital, same everything. <laughs> it's just, that's just how it is. And then obviously, I think it's true that as women get older, they tend to have more symptoms related to pregnancy. It's not universally that way. There's some women in their 30s and 40s who are like, feel great, and others who are, you know, 22 or just a wreck. Anyone could have any range of symptoms. But I think on average, it tends to be a little bit harder, particularly if it's not someone's first pregnancy. And not only are they pregnant at 40, but they're running after a, you know, a five-year-old yes. and a two-year-old. And they're like, my God. <laughs> <laughs> It's, and uh, often working. Yeah. You know, I see that too. Women that are, you know, in their 30s and 40s that have are very successful, have, yeah. you know, high pressure jobs, you know, work a lot and physically it wears on you. Right. When we see someone who is over 35 and beginning a pregnancy, other than the counseling we're talking about and giving them baby aspirin, as we said, and then at the end of pregnancy doing this testing. Do you manage their pregnancies any differently otherwise? No. Yeah. There's not much else. Yeah. It's really those things at the front end and the back end. The middle of pregnancy, and she may have more symptoms, she may not. We'll, we'll address them if, as they come. But basically for most women, if it's you know, a function of their age and they don't have the other, they don't have high blood pressure, they don't have diabetes, you know, we don't have to you know, sort of manage those. Her pregnancy management is very similar to everybody else. The, the frequency of prenatal visits is the same. The tests we do are the same. The ultrasounds we do are the same. The counseling we do is the same. Diet and exercise is the same. All of these are really the same. The takeaway message for women is as women get older, there are some things that increase in risk that are not, there's nothing that anyone can do about, so to speak, particularly you know, related to fertility and miscarriage. Fortunately, if that does happen, there are treatments available so that women can get pregnant basically any age, assuming they have, you know, good fertility doctors and who know what they're doing. But that's something that's just sort of a function of age. And then after that, there's just a few modifications we do in pregnancy uh, in terms of the baby aspirin and some of the things at the end and making a decision about when to deliver. And then there's a slightly increased risk of cesarean. But otherwise, it, it should go well, particularly if someone is healthy. So if I have someone, you know, 
friend of mine or patient of mine or relative, 35, 38, 40, 42, is talking to me about getting pregnant. What I think, I was like, if you're healthy and you feel well, you should do great in pregnancy. Yeah. It should go fine. And it's not something to be worried about or be afraid uh, for any more so than anyone else who's pregnant. Uh, but just make sure that you're seeing someone who knows what they're doing. And that's it. It doesn't <laughs> necessarily have to be a high-risk doctor, so to speak. Could be. But many, many, you know, non-high-risk doctors and practices take care of women over all the time. And as long as they know what they're doing, it's it should go uh, very well. Yeah. One thing we didn't really get into is women that have had babies before. Mm, and, yeah. you know, when I was a resident, you learn like if you had blank in a prior pregnancy, right. that's a risk factor for having blank again. And you sort of laugh at it and then you see it in real life and you're like, wow, that's really true. Yeah. So for someone who comes to me that says, oh, I've had, you know, I'm 39, I've had two kids. Am I too old to have a third? And their two pregnancies were totally uncomplicated. Like right. the, their likelihood is very good yeah. to have another uncomplicated pregnancy. Right. And particularly but, also the the cesarean rate isn't so high. So if that two vaginal deliveries before, almost whatever her age is, she's a very, very, very high chance of delivering vaginally again. Yeah. And then you, we have people that have had, you know, three pregnancies. They've been gestational diabetic in all three. And by the fourth one, they're like, can I not even do the sugar test? <laughs> like, we know I'm going to be diabetic. Right. We know it's going to happen again. Right. Right. Or hypertension. These things definitely tend uh, to repeat themselves, not always, but a much higher risk. And that's also part of the counseling. You know, someone who's 40 and saying, should I get pregnant if her past three pregnancies were disasters? Yeah, well, it's going to probably be the same and maybe worse. And doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It just means we have to talk about it. Whereas if they went really smoothly, again, maybe there'll be an issue of fertility, maybe a higher chance of miscarriage. But other than that, it really should go very well um, if they went well before. Melka, tell me, what, what did you feel like on the day of your 35th birthday, being, <laughs> being an obstetrician, when you became advanced maternal age? I believe I was seven weeks pregnant. <laughs> so I spent the whole day throwing up, <laughs> not because I was partying, right. because pregnancy is miserable. <laughs> yeah, I, I always, I remember when, it was I, uneventful. Yeah, when I turned 35. <laughs> Like, I'm advanced maternal age today. I was like, yeah, don't feel, don't feel much different from yesterday. Not at all. And I always would tell you know women that when it comes to like, nothing magically happens when you turn no. 35. <laughs> and people like, you know, sometimes people will get counseled. Like, you know, if you're 35 and over, you need to do A, B, C, D, and E. And if you're 34 years, 11 months, you know, and uh, 30 days and younger, mm -hmm. you're perfectly fine. And obviously, that's not the case. These things are all like a gradation. As you get older, these risks go up slightly, but nothing actually happens at 35. Again, that cutoff was just, you know, it happened to be the risk yeah. one or 200 Down syndrome. That's why 35 was picked. It could yeah. have been a different age. I've had women under 35 be told by someone else, like who knows that they- Impending they advanced can, No, 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 oh. that they can't have an amnio because they're not 35. Ah, you right. know, and I had like a, a handful of people that are like late 20s, early 30s that yeah. had something like a close friend or a sibling or someone with an abnormal pregnancy. And they're like, I just want to do a CVS and right. know that everything is normal. Yeah. And they're like, yes, you can do that. Yeah, absolutely. It's allowed. <laughs> For any of our listeners out there who are over 35 or coming up on 35 and wondering about pregnancy, uh, hopefully this podcast was mostly reassuring. Uh, if you're in good health and you know you're fit and all is well, you should do great. If you have any specific concerns or you want to talk more, definitely see your own OBGYN or if we're your OBGYNs, come <laughs> see us. We're happy to talk about it either before pregnancy or an early pregnancy. But again, the message is most do very, very well. Uh, age alone is not a reason not to get pregnant. It's something we need to consider and talk about. 
Uh, but we pretty much, I mean, never tell women you can't get pregnant because of the age alone. And I, I mean, I see women for consultations who are, you know, 40, 45, 50, mm-hmm. 55. I and mean, I see women, you know, in, in those age groups. And there's a lot to talk about and to think about, uh, but it's not the number. It's not age that's going to affect it. It's a lot of the other things in terms of her health. Melka. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> this is great. The, hey, any of you guys have requests out there, you can send us an email. We're happy to cover the topics. Uh, I've been getting some and it's great. We're trying to cover all them. Uh, same if you want to talk about your own pregnancy and your own birth, tell your high risk birth story. It doesn't have to be high risk. It could be low risk and a good outcome. If you've got a good story to tell, we're happy to hear it. Melka told hers, which was great. Feel free to email it in. I absolutely positively read all the comments that come onto Apple and all the emails that come into our inbox. So feel free to shoot us an email with a suggestion or if you want to tell your own story. Thanks, Melka. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.